On this episode, I interview my neighbor, Sean Holcomb, who happens to be a marriage and family therapist. What are the odds of my neighbor being a marriage and family therapist and me starting a podcast on couples? Um, not only am I stoked for Sean to be my neighbor, but I'm also stoked at the knowledge that he's going to be able to bring to this platform. I'm hoping to have him on on a regular cadence to discuss specific topics, topics that I'll bring up or topics that I would love for you to send to me. Um, Sean is a marriage and family therapist in the East Bay, and you can find him on his website at seanholcombtherapy.com. That's S-E-A-N-H-O-L-C-O-M-B-E therapy.com. In this first episode with Sean, we talk about a few different things, everything from defining success relationship to what you want your marriage to be. And you'll definitely hear some nervous laughter from me throughout, but I think that's okay because I, I don't think it is always comfortable to be talking to a therapist about relationships. And, you know, so we also talk about, you know, when do you go to couples therapy? So I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. And without further ado, we'll dive right in. Welcome to the Couple Collective. I'm your host, Julian Lewis. Every week, we're going to bring you stories from couples to understand their path to making their relationship work. Drop that beat. So, Sean, welcome. Thank you. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for coming across Absolutely. the street. All the way across the street. It's yeah. great. I didn't get hit by a car. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself and sure. let us know how you got into the field. Yeah. Uh, I'm my, Again, my name is Sean Holcomb. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, in private practice here in the East Bay. I work primarily with families, uh, but focus on new dads as well, um, couples, uh, the relationship issues that come up with that. Uh, and then for fun and profit, I also do some psych emergency work. I don't think that's what we're here to talk okay. about. I don't, think, I don't think so, but yeah. that might be an interesting topic. What, what got me into the field uh, is, uh, you know, I, I got a, like, administrative jobs after undergrad. I got my undergrad degree in human communication. Uh, after that, I kind of floundered around, didn't really like the administrative work, but through doing some career counseling at UC Berkeley, yes. I kind of came through that, that process really enamored with un with an understanding of what I was actually going to be looking for in work. Okay. And part of that was working with other people. I knew I wanted to be a people-focused profession. Okay. Uh, and I kind of came to understand that some of the things that I kind of had gravitated to in my personal life in terms of like I ended up being the person that some people would bring their problems to, we talked about, and I was more of an empathetic listener, and I called, called myself a solution finder. That I that that actually is kind of some of the basis for therapy, and so I began uh, looking into that and went to grad school, got a degree, did some interning, and here I am. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I'd love to to hear your kind of thoughts on um, if couples should do therapy, when they should be do therapy, should right. every couple do therapy. Um, and just really understand like the the benefits of doing it to improve the relationship, or just to have kind of like a, a mediator between. Like, what are the reasons why you think people should do therapy? I guess. Sure. Um, 
That's a good question. He, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't get the questions ahead of time. So <laughs> that is we're, correct. We're no, 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 right. no prep here. That's right. Uh, where were you on the night of? No. Um, uh, you know, one of the, the things about couples therapy in the profession um, that many therapists will, will say is that a lot of people come to couples therapy too late. Okay. They come to, they basically, in a lot of respects, um, have avoided couples therapy. They come to couples therapy when the relationship is, is at an end point and they're basically coming to break up. They're trying to figure out a way to extricate themselves from the relationship. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you want to use therapy for that, that's fine. Uh, you know, a therapist is happy to be kind of a mediator in terms of ending the relationship. But, you know, you, know, you have to understand what the assumptions are about coming to therapy. What are you coming to therapy for? If you are coming to therapy to end a relationship and you just need help on figuring out how to do that, that's fine. But some people will come in saying, oh, no, I want to save this relationship. Uh, or, or one person will say that the other person may mirror that but not actually feel that. Okay. And then that ends up being um, more challenging and really kind of a waste of everyone's time. Okay. Um, you know, to get back to the other question is, you know, sh- should couples get into therapy? I, I, I don't. I think yes, um, not just because I want to stay in business, but <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think what people, you know, I, in, 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 you know, I've actually been thinking about having this conversation and what I would want to say and talking about it. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I want to get to eventually, we don't have to talk about just yet, is yeah. this idea of assumption. Okay. And I think assumption ends up being the biggest problem for people in relationships, both for the reasons they get into the relationship and the reason they stay in a relationship and what they are looking to get out of relationships. And if any of those things are incongruous, if they are in some way, if what they are saying they want is different from what they truly want on the inside, then that's gonna cause problems throughout their relationship. I see. The more you can accurately communicate what your wants and needs and what you're hoping to get out of a relationship, the better it is you are going to be able to find someone who is going to meet most of those needs. And if your communication, your lines of communication are not good in a relationship, that's really what therapy can help address. I see. Um, if you go, if, if you, and that's why I recommend actually premarital counseling for people. Um, even going to therapy when things are good. One of the things that that can set you up for is if you believe that therapy, that couples don't go to therapy until things are awful, then you might actually think your problems, if you're thinking about going to therapy, you might have a gut reaction of being like, oh shit, is my relationship about to end? Because everybody I know that goes to therapy ends a relationship. I see, okay. But if you go when things are good, then you actually take that out of the equation because you're like, oh, you know what? We went to therapy when things were good. Things aren't as good as we would like them to be. Let's go to therapy and get a tune-up. Let's just go and address these few little issues before they become big issues, and then the relationship isn't salvageable. Okay. So those are kind of big picture ideas about uh, my stance on, on where I think people should be involved in therapy. I think it's okay not to go to therapy. I don't think therapy is a necessity. I think it really depends on the couple and what's going on for the couple and what they're hoping to get out of their relationship, and are they, are they meeting and achieving those goals currently or are they, could they use some assistance in helping to get there okay 
So I think part of this podcast and why I started it is because I've had trouble with relationships in the past. Sure. Um, and I've gotten to the point where, yes, maybe I thought they were going to go to the next level of marriage, but they didn't make it to that point. Right. Um, and there was discussions about whether or not we should do therapy. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, uh, the relationship was still like felt f- fairly new right. and we weren't necessarily at the point of marriage. And so it wouldn't necessarily be marriage canceling because we weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. We weren't married. So mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it made sense for us to do it at that point right. or um, figure out therapy on our own individually and build ourselves up and then not build ourselves up, but um, get to a stronger place mm-hmm. individually and then see how we do as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in the span of a dating relationship before there is talk of marriage, does it make sense for therapy? Or if you're thinking about therapy, is it like, well, maybe we shouldn't be together if we're already thinking about therapy early on? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there, that's yes to all of those things. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know where you want to go with this, but I, I would almost ask you the question, do you see those previous relationships as a success or a failure? Um, a failure... I guess with anything, if you start something, you want to finish it, right? Um, but okay. I think. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's, yep. let's stop that. Let's okay. unpack that statement because that's actually a pretty loaded statement. Okay. What would it mean to finish a relationship? That's, what does that look like? That's a good question. I guess making it to the point where you stay together forever, start a family, um, okay. and kind of move forward from there. So, okay, hold on. Keep yep. going. Yep. How does that end? What does finishing that mean? I guess there's no point of finishing because you're staying with that person. What is the assumption about a successful relationship in our in modernity in our culture? When two people appear happy together and can stand okay. each other through their their different difficulties that they have. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. And and but but how does it end? It, it it ends when one person dies before the other while they're still married. That yeah. would be an assumption on our current in our current society about what marriage looks like. Understood. Okay. That that is a success. That is just about the only definition of a successful marriage that is currently being uh, currently thought of in our current culture. Okay, that's fair. So if we say that's pretty high standards for any relationship, and yeah. we say, are there other successful relationships? And if there is a different definition of success. And we, we check our assumptions at the door. What do those assumptions look like? And what what does a successful relationship look like? Yeah. Does it have to end with one person dying? Because my <laughs> that's goodness, that. that's a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Could you have a successful relationship that only lasted one night? I don't know, right? Yeah. It would depend on what the two people would want out of that encounter. And could you have a successful relationship that only lasted three months? Could you have one that lasted five years, 10 years, 15 years, and ended and still count it a success? Now, that's going to be a question I can't answer. That question is going to be individual for the two people involved in the relationship. And in in that, but but when we are beginning to have a conversation about relationships beginning and ending and whether they were positive or successful... Mm -hmm really depends on us asking ourselves what is it we wanted out of that relationship at that period in our time and did we meet those goals did we leave the other person in better condition or do we do we drain them of their resources and leave them as a dry husk right and and that begins the conversation you have to know what we're looking for what we want 
And, and then we have the opportunity to go out and look for it. Yeah. I, I guess then kind of looking back on that and the past relationships, I wouldn't call them a failure because they ended. I would call them a success because of what I was able to take from them. And I hope that they were able to take something as valuable in terms of what you mentioned about learning about what you want. Mm -hmm. And then I think having then more direction on being able to find someone like Emily because I had a better base based off of my previous experiences. Yeah. What, uh, how, how young do you remember having your first significant other, boyfriend or girlfriend? How old were you? Significant other versus boyfriend and girlfriend. I, guess. I mean, I don't, I don't I mean, know. <laughs> but how old were you when you like first asked someone to go out with you? Uh, probably pretty young. Probably right. how, how um, fifth grade. I believe. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you remember her name? Yes. Okay. What was her name? <laughs> Carly Marino. All right. How long were you guys together as boyfriend and girlfriend when you asked her out? Uh, maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> a couple weeks. Do you look at that as your first failure in relationships? Because it ended. Uh, no, I no. guess not. No. Did you learn something for your relationship yeah, with Carly? Okay. Definitely. Did, did did even if you're not friends with Carly on Facebook anymore or anything, <laughs> but like did you guys what were did you destroy her? I mean did you did no. you leave? No, okay. No. Right. <laughs> definitely All right. not. So she's happily married uh, with a family now. Fantastic. Just so you guys know. <laughs> Mazel tov to her. Yeah. So right. But we again we don't look at a relationship in fifth grade. It begins, it ends, and but you know, and we we are. It's in that process of learning. What does it mean to be to have a relationship? Right. It's practice. Many of our relationships, we start them, and all of them end until one doesn't. And a lot of times, we're trying, we're doing two things simultaneously. One, we're looking for something out of a relationship. Yeah. And two, we're practicing. What does it mean to be in part of a relationship? What does that look like? How do I intertwine my life with another human being in a way that is both beneficial to myself and to someone else, whether it be with another person, whether it be with multiple other people? Okay. And how does that, how, what does that look like? What, and, and am I going to get the satisfaction I'm out of it? It takes practice. It's hard work. And I think it's, you know, I think the way our current culture is, a lot of people practice dating for a significant period of time and we are delaying marriage Till later, and I think yeah. that there there are multiple factors that wind into that. But what that does mean, though, is people are not being celibate and they're not being, uh, you know, hermits in their houses. I mean, they are out there dating, they are out there being companions with other people. But for one reason or another, they're delaying this this institution of marriage for one reason or another. Okay, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point. I guess for me, you know, I always thought like. I would wait to, to be married until mm-hmm. obviously I found the right person. Okay. But then all, also when I was in a place where I felt that mm-hmm. I was successful. Yeah. Meaning I was uh, doing well in my career, mm-hmm. made a certain amount of money. Sure. Um, and was in a position where I felt like I could support a family. Right. Um, which I do think are very important things. Right. I also think though that the institution of marriage itself um, and the ceremony and all of that, I don't know how I truly feel about that whole thing because I really want it to be the celebration of like me and hopefully Emily coming together. Sure. And I want the people that are there to be the people that help to guide us there mm-hmm. and not necessarily just filling up tables with, you know, 150 to 200 people if there's only 75 people that really had an impact. Sure. 
But, but you're talking about the specifics of the, of the ceremony. Right? Yeah. You're talking about the rituals. <laughs> right. and, and rituals are powerful. Um, they have a lot of, they can have a lot of meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, you are sidestepping the, uh, a very important question that I would ask someone in premarital counseling, uh, that my wife asked people in her premarital counseling, is why get married? And, and you know, that's a question that needs to be answered. Because, again, we get back to this statement I made earlier of assumption. Okay. And a lot of assumption in our society is we grow up, we get an education, we get a career, we get married, we have kids. These are assumptions that are kind of built into, you can just kind of default, roll on in, and society will provide you a template for what you should do. Yeah. Now... It's not to say there will be people that say that is the right way to do it, but we live here in the Bay Area. It's kind of a little that we kind of play fast and loose with right and wrong, right? And I think the question is, is that right for you? And if it's right for you, what is going to be the way you're going to do it? You know, marriage is a very old institution, but it didn't look like the way it looks now in any way, shape, or form, even a couple hundred years ago. You know, uh, marriage, in many respects, was a property transaction in many ways, right? Okay. I mean, if we're looking at heterosexual marriage, for the most part, women were the property of their fathers, right? And they were then g- given to other men, sometimes in exchange for goods, mm-hmm. cattle, right? You know, in exchange. They were sometimes used to join major houses in political arrangements, right? And, you know, they... There wasn't a lot of power for women in relationships in terms of marriage. Marriage was something that was done to them. It wasn't necessarily something they had the choice in. Okay. Now that now we get roughly around the 1920s, also into the 1950s, we see a big shift in the culture. Right? Women begin to have more power. World War II, women are into you know they get more autonomy through work. Suddenly they join from World War II. They go into the factories. They get money. We also see the advent of the pill which meant that sex didn't equate uh, pregnancy, right? right? And so now you unlock that. And one of the other things we get, if we take a big step back to the agricultural revolution, where we now suddenly are developing a surplus. And now the question is, I want my surplus, I wanna hand off the surplus of things that I have developed and cultivated, I wanna hand them down to my progeny, and I don't wanna hand them down to someone else's progeny. So now we suddenly get to the idea, the importance of monogamy and the idea of like, I want to make sure that my, my children are mine and not someone else's. So the importance of keeping a woman separated from the rest of the world to ensure that my progeny are mine. Okay. You know, what we live in, if we go back and we have our narrative of the hunter gatherers and the nomadic tribes, you know, there was a, there, you know, there was espoused or there's hypothesized of a sexual fluidity amongst members. But there isn't also necessarily an, a, a causal relationship between sex and, 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 and children. And so the whole tribe took care of all kids. Right? Okay. And there wasn't, and because you didn't have, there, it was more communal property, there wasn't any necessarily like, I need to make sure that the things that I have get passed down to my son or my daughter. It, there wasn't that, that, you know, and it wasn't usually communal or individual property is more communal. So it didn't really matter who your kids were. They were the tribe's kids. And the tribe's kids we all take care of because we're all invested in them as a tribe surviving. Got it. Okay. So if we start, so we go from there. 
to there. Again, these are assumptions. This is kind of where the institution of marriage is built upon. These are the foundations that we don't, we kind of look back and we go, wow, do I want to really participate in that? But the nice thing is, is we talked a little bit about ritual and ritual having meaning. The nice thing is that marriage can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. And with that, though, comes you having to figure out what do you want it to be. If we don't like the default, yeah, that's fine. But that does mean you have to kind of get a sense of what does it mean to be in a marriage. And that kind of opens a door to a big conversation that needs to be had to understand what a successful marriage would be to you. Yeah, Maybe it means having kids. Maybe it doesn't. That's a big question two people need to come to. Sometimes they come to therapy to try to figure it out. Yeah. If someone doesn't want kids and the other person wants to have kids, I kind of, as a therapist, say, that's a bit of a deal killer. There's no half a kid. Right. <laughs> now, if yeah. there's someone who's like, I want five kids and I want three kids, well, we might be able to negotiate to four, right? Mm-hmm. That's still, you're like, we both agree to the idea of I want kids. Fine. But if someone's like, I don't want any kids, I don't want anything to do with kids, someone's like, I'm hoping to have at least one. Yeah. There's no compromise in that. If someone's like, I want to live in this city and I want to live in this city, it's like, well, do you mind living in half, halfway? Because there's, yeah, that's one of those deal killers. It's, I, I just don't know how to negotiate okay. a compromise in that. That makes sense. Um, you know, are you looking to have your marriage be your primary sexual relationship? Right? That's, that's a default assumption. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be a reality. There are plenty of people, you know, what we call companion marriages, right? where sex isn't necessarily uh, a given anymore. Maybe they both kind of have grown into friendships, but they like some of the other aspects. I know we talk, that you've talked about in some of your other podcasts about the financial stability, where I'm looking to you to uh, you know, help develop resources so that we can live a long life and be safe and secure. Um, and maybe you know, you've got my, you know, if two people have gone through multiple marriages, maybe they're, they've met in a nursing home. You know, maybe based on medical issues, sex isn't really going to be a part of that relationship, but they, they want companionship at end of life. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's what that's going to be. Maybe they don't join their finances because they've got both their fixed income retirement accounts, so they don't join finances, but they, they're just a, you know, a, a friendship companionship, um, but their finances are separate, right? Again, is that a successful relationship? For those two people, absolutely. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of waxing poetic. No, 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 no. That's great. No, that's that's extremely helpful because I think for me, to your point, you know, when I think about marriage, the the ritual part does get um, a bit overwhelming sure. at times. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, I guess what I would deem as my ideal marriage would be the idea of being able to live on a deserted island with one person. Okay. Um, and be able to have that companionship. Um, and be able to, if we wanted to start a family mm-hmm. and be able to almost build our own village. Right. Now, given that we came from villages, that's part of the reason why I want to make sure that we're surrounded by you know our family sure. and our closest friends, the ones that help to get us to that point. Yeah. But I, my ideal scenario is if I had to be on an island with one person, like that's the person that I want to marry and spend uh, the rest of my life with. And in that, it's mm-hmm. beautiful, by the way. Thank you. I, 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 hope, I hope you have a dock where people can visit the island because that sounds great. Awesome. But the question, though, is, and, and, and actually uh, there's a, a wonderful author, Esther Porel. She's doing some very great modern thinking on uh, the state of couples therapy, and she does some great work. But um, 
I think her statement is, you know, she points out there has never been a period of time in our lives where there hasn't been more weight and responsibility on the institution of marriage than today. I, I take a little issue with that when I think about the political marriages between, you know, royalty of different countries that solidify, um, you know, peace treaties and keep people from going to war. That seems to be a marriage that has some high stakes. But, right. <laughs> it, but what she's pointing to is, you know, we have loaded so much onto the institution of marriage where marriage is uh, we are our, our primary friends, our best friends. Yeah. Uh, we are business partners. We are co-parents. We are our activity partners. Every, you know, everything that we sometimes used to fragment. It used to be that you were two bearing people, but you still had your guys you went bowling with on bowling night, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you may have been a member of the Masons. You might have been, you know, a member of the Kiwanis Club, right? I don't you know had all any of these clubs, <laughs> whatever, because they're mostly gone, and our okay. generation just doesn't involve right. them. Um, I don't know. Anyway, you had a men's club that women weren't invited to. That generally had a bar, and they kind of came together, and they had secret handshakes and whatever else, right? Got it. Um, or you know, and or you had your you know, your your buddies that you went hunting with, or you joined you know scouts, or God knows what, but. And then, you know, and the, the women might have had different groups and, you know, they would go off to. So they had their social groups. They came together and, you know, the, the, the responsibilities weren't as great if you didn't actually, you know, like almost, well, I don't, you know, you did, liking your spouse wasn't even necessarily a requirement, right? Okay. So, you know, and so we've, we've put a lot of, there's a lot of, again, the assumptions are there's a lot of responsibility that falls on our primary relationship to meet all of our needs and that will that 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 is a you know that's fine but that is also a, a great burden especially when the movies and pop culture say like you're going to look at someone and you're going to know they're the one because the music starts playing yeah right and you're going to kiss fade to the fireplace credits right but it doesn't necessarily get to what are the nuts and bolts of that that marriage after that kiss what is that going to look like and are those two people going to be happy and satisfied yeah. for some period of time? Okay, yeah, that's... So I guess I, I want to kind of loop it back to sure. the, the couples therapy and, and understanding, like, in the past how people kind of... I, I don't want to necessarily call it their escapes, but uh-huh. they had the other people that they would um, lean on um, to help them with different aspects of their lives. And now I feel like when two people become one, to your point, they're almost everything for that other person. Mm-hmm. And so I guess in therapy, is that something that often comes up and, and how do you help people to realize that, that either they shouldn't be relying on each other for everything or like if they're going to making sure that they understand, you know, what that other person is doing to help them um, to achieve what they're, what they're trying to achieve, whether it be in a career or personal things that they want to um, accomplish. It's a really good question. And it's a little hard to answer because without, you know, seeing the two people, you know, okay. ultimately when I have two, when I have a couple come into my therapy office or for me as a home-based family therapist, I go to their house, I'm sitting in their living room and we're sitting around. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's usually something that brought us to therapy, right? There's been a problem. Okay. And there is, there is the spoken problem. And then usually there is an unspoken problem. And my job is to figure out if I address this spoken problem, will that resolve the conflict and we can all go home and everyone's happy? Yeah. Or or is there 
or, or what is the unspoken problem that isn't getting talked about, right? And can we identify it and figure out what isn't what needs aren't getting met and that aren't getting spoken about? And the question is really, is it's less important about the problem, but how do we get to a place where people didn't feel comfortable enough to talk about what they really wanted and what they what and what they weren't getting? Okay. And why is it that we're not speaking about truly what our needs are? How do we get to this place? You know, when we talk about assumptions, sometimes our fear of being alone can lead us to thinking we need to be a particular person that may not be authentic to ourselves. I see. In order to compromise, in order to get in, into a relationship and then keeping the relationship. Right. Now, I don't think anyone is going to find any situation where they can authentically be themselves in every situation and find and and and, and not find compromise in, in any relationship. We when we go into work, when we go into society, society is inherently about compromise, right? right. We don't get to go wherever we want and do whatever we want and still be invited back into those situations. Um, but if we are like, let's say, and it sometimes revolves around sex, mm-hmm. um, if there's something, if there is a sexual need that isn't getting met, and I'm afraid of communicating that to my partner because my assumption is my sexual want in some way deviant or undesirable, then and then I don't communicate that, and then that's an unmet need. But now I'm coming into therapy, not saying I have an un, I have an unmet sexual need, and I would like to have an opportunity to discuss this with my partner. <laughs> right. But I'm now upset at my partner for something else. I and see. now, as a therapist, we have to figure out and navigate that and find that out. And I and the only way I know how to do that is ask questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as easy as saying like. You came in here to therapy because you didn't like the way your partner was putting the toilet paper on the roll, whether it was rolling over or rolling under. Yeah. That do seemed, you go over or under? Do I personally? Yeah. Uh, I I am I'm ambidextrous. Okay. Uh, about my toilet paper. <laughs> I, I'm the only I'm the one that likes toilet paper to be in the bathroom. Okay. That's all, I <laughs> That's all that matters. Okay. Uh, yeah. So right and so that is the tricky part of therapy because. Okay. If, if they were, if it was so easy to say, I'm not getting this need met and I'm worried that I may never get this need met, or I don't feel like I'm good enough for my partner and I'm concerned because I'm insecure. Well, if it was easy to say that we need to come to therapy for right? right? You just say it you and your partner would work it out and we either work out or it wouldn't. And there, the fear of being alone and the fear of never finding someone again. Yeah. Uh, or the fear of it not working out, and how would others judge me if this relation, if they see this relationship as a failure, which we talked about earlier? Yeah, that causes people to contort themselves sometimes into shapes that cannot be sustained for the long term. Got it. That makes sense. And that that contortion, those those um, pain stress positions, right? Uh, you can only do for so long before there will be cracks or you will start to lash out at your partner and cause contempt and resentment towards them for things that have nothing to do with what you actually care about. Yeah. And then your partner's like, I don't understand why you're upset about this thing because you're scared to be honest and authentic with them about this thing because they might leave you if they discovered the thing that you are, the thing that you want. Yeah. So those are kind of like... <clears throat> Without having a case study to kind of talk about, those are kind of the, some of the things that I see 
when I'm working with couples. I think the other thing that I see is transition. When a relationship transitions to a new kind of relationship, right? No one generally comes and sees me in the honeymoon stage of a relationship, right? You've just met someone, everything's great. You can't get enough of them. You're texting all the time. You're having sex all the time. You guys are are together 24-7. They're blissed out, right? Right. Okay. (laughs) So no one come, no one goes to therapy in there because there's no room for there because you're spending all the time with them and you just you you know there's no problems right. Then the first problem hits. Okay. All right. Maybe it's the discovery of an affair. Maybe it's you know one person wanting the relationship to go in a different direction than the other. Maybe it's the discovery of something hidden. Maybe hidden debt. Maybe um, you know or maybe the first fight or. God knows what. For, for me and, and my specialty, it generally is around the transition involving going from being the young, hot, married couple to co-parents. Got it. That's kind of where I, I, I jump in. So okay. I work with a lot of you dads. I work with a lot of couples. In terms of navigating this water of what does it mean to be a parent now yeah. and that transition. Okay. Um, and so, and that kind of is, you know, for a lot of couples, sometimes the being a parent is the first big stressor on a relationship that they've ever experienced and helping them to navigate. And and there are so many cultural assumptions over parenthood and raising children. And what does that mean? And when people get really stressed about life Uh and they're sleep deprived for the first time in their lives, you know, and I'm not talking about all nighters in college. I'm talking about chronic sleep deprivation that leads people to clinical levels of depression. Okay. And then, and so they're doing that, and they and they're, the grandparents were around for a few weeks, and then the grandparents fly home, right? And now you're alone in the apartment or the house with this newborn kid, and it starts crying in the middle of the night, and you swaddle it, and you nurse it, and you change its diaper, and it's still crying, and you don't know what to do. Okay. And then you go on the internet, and you ask Google. And Google tells you two things, and two things only. Yeah. One, your baby's going to be fine. And two, your baby's going to die. And you're sitting there with that information yeah. and you, you haven't slept more than an hour or two. And then all of a sudden, a lot of people, they don't know what to do. And they default to what? The base operating system, which is how, what their parents did for them. Yeah. And, they, they, and even if you consciously said, I'm never going to do what my dad did or I'm never going to do what my mom did in that stress moment when you're not thinking logically and you're just going with that base gut, you do what your parents did. Yeah. And what your parents did and what your partner's parents did may have been radically different. Right. Or what you want to be as a parent may be radically different. And you weren't having a conversation because you just made the assumption, we're just going to be parents. And we'll just figure it out. Because that's what society told us to do. It's like, right. you get married, now you have kids. That causes conflict. Okay. And that's one of the things that I specialize is in helping people navigate not only the transition from thinking of themselves as a man to a father or a woman to a mother, that one's a little bit easier because there's a biological transformation that occurs. For men, it's a bit more intellectual. Helping them navigate that and then helping them to mesh one person and another person's idea of, of what it means to be co-parents okay. and how to do that successfully. That okay. may be a bit more beyond... No, no, this is great. That's no. the next step of no, this no. podcast. <laughs> no, no, this Season is, two. This is great. And Parenthood. We can, we can chop it up however we, we would like to, but I do have a question about that because you talked about... Yeah. Um, doing premarital um, counseling sure. even when you're potentially in a state of happiness. Yeah. So I guess if you're already starting to plan for a family, 
does that then mean you should probably go to counseling beforehand if you don't necessarily feel like you have the proper forum in your home to be able to talk about the way you want to be parents? Or is it once it happens and you're starting to feel the effects of it, then go to counseling and that? You know, it. I mean, it can, it can go any way you want. You know, a lot of people are in relatively good shape and yet they still go get a, a coach or a trainer. Why do they do that? Right. Well, sometimes it's because maybe I can achieve more or better get my goals if I have an out, a third party outside observer that isn't me or my family or my friends who are just gonna say, you look great, oh, you're so strong, hey, no, your Instagram's off the hook, right? right? And then and like, and like someone will be like, accurately assess, well, maybe your form's off a little bit. You know, maybe your squat isn't as deep as it should be. Maybe if you corrected this form, you wouldn't have this pain in this, in your leg or your arm or this, you know, tweak in your back you get every time you do this one thing. A therapist can be that that coach or that outside observer who looks at the way you guys do things and offer up a perspective and sometimes practical yeah. ways to improve your communication and the way you guys go to help you guys achieve whatever your goals are. And sometimes it could be two or three sessions just to have you both come out and say, therapy isn't scary. And we're in a great place. Yeah. Someone else uh, didn't suddenly uncover something big and scary in the closet. And we learned a few ways of that maybe we can affect not only we're better able to communicate what our needs are, get our needs met in a better way. And then we're set up, we're, we've set the stage where if there's a problem in the future, we can lean back on this resource that we've cultivated and developed. Yeah. If, even if our tools that we got from the first time we went through it didn't work out. Now it's like, oh, well, we went to therapy when it was great. And now things aren't that really great. Well, we should pop into therapy because we built that relationship with that great therapist, Sean Holcomb, licensed marriage and family therapist. <laughs> <Nice>. and, <laughs> and let's go get that tune-up. Let's go yeah. like, like, like figure out where did this come from because we were in a good place and now we're not. What happened? Okay. Or all of a sudden we're not having sex anymore as much as we wanted to. And I'm feeling a little resentful. It's affecting my self-esteem. And I'm wondering what happened because we were, you know, we were going at it all the time and now yeah. we're not. What's that about? Maybe we figure that out before we, you know, have this go any further. Okay. Or, you know, my financial goals are way different than your financial goals. And, you know, maybe you want to go see a financial planner about that. But maybe you want to come to therapy to figure out why aren't we communicating about money very well. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, or, gosh, you know, my family of origin and her family of origin or you know she you know my partner isn't meshing with my family of origin it's causing conflict in our relationship because we have to go to the holidays every time maybe we want to pop into therapy to figure out how can we navigate these complex messy relationships with all these other people in our system yeah and how do we make sure that that doesn't cause any undue stress later on that has nothing about us but it actually affects us greatly and the assumptions that our family puts on us and our what our relationship is going to look like Thank you kindly for joining us on the podcast today. Between now and next time, visit us at www.couplecollective.com or follow us via our social channels at Couple Collective. If you've been enjoying the episodes or the podcast in general, please tell a friend, tell a couple, or subscribe via your favorite podcasting service. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be featured with your story, you can contact us via the form on the website or at 
Until next time, much love.